Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Man, let's, let's, let's have a great confidence and rest in Him and His... You know what? Faith in God, I think sometimes... Boy, I'm already off the notes, but that's okay. I think sometimes, you know, uh, we, we, we get into, um, you know, I've been preparing today. I want to speak to you about the power, the spirit of God and the word of God. But um, I think this is a great way to preface this. A lot of times when we start talking about believing God and having faith, we're almost trying to work a system. We're trying to get the word to work for us. We're trying to get the, the principles to work for us. And there are principles of the kingdom. I'm not saying that there are not. But my faith is not in my ability to work a principle. My faith is in the character and nature and the person of God and who he revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ. And I see a man there who is willing to go around and even seek out those who are hurting and seek out those who are lost. There's a verse, and I think it's uh, uh, Luke 9, 11. I'm not 100% sure, but it says that, that the crowds were coming to him and he healed all who needed to be healed. Okay. Now think about that in light of what we think about all the time. We would think he healed all who came in faith. No, it didn't say that. All who came believing, all who came with the gift. No, he healed all who had need of healing. That was his nature, his character. He healed all who had need of healing. If you could just, if we could grab a hold of the heart of God, it would settle a lot of the questions that we have when we're battling and fighting for, for whatever we need to fight for, right? We're not battling heaven. You know, back in the day, they used to have a phrase, we're bombarding the gates of heaven. <laughs> you know, let's pray until we get our answers. We're bombarding the gates of heaven. And uh, if you're bombarding the gates of heaven, you probably need to turn your guns around and bombard something else because heaven is not your problem. You are seated with him in heavenly places. What are you doing outside bombarding the gates? Think about it. He wants to work through his body, his church. He wants the freedom to work through you and me, through this body that he has through Jesus Christ. And we need to learn how to, that, that you know, our prayer is, is, is not trying to twist God to, to move, but our prayer is agreeing with God that what he wants to happen will happen. Amen? I mean, all of these things that we stand for and believe for and fight for, you know, whether it's salvation or healing or, or, or you name it, man, these things are Bible ideas. They come from the heart of God. Jesus demonstrated them. Um, I, I was with a group of people who didn't all believe this way, and, and we were uh, ministering to large groups of kids up in New York City, and they were saying things like, uh, man, I, I don't want to tell them that God will heal, heal them because I don't want to give them false hope don't want to give them false hope. And I mean, that, that was a battle for me. I was alone in this group. And so we had to work out a compromise and, you know, I'm wanting to pray and be a faith man. And, and they're wanting to say, don't give people false hope. And then after I got done with that internship, I, I found a recording by Reinhard Bonnke. You guys know who he is? The, the German guy who did all the evangelism all over Africa. And he says, if you don't want people to have hope, don't let them read the Bible. Because the Bible is full of hope, right? Faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. How can I have faith if I can't even get to the place where I have hope? And so many people in our culture today, we're beyond hope. We've left hope. It's hopeless. I give up. I've just, I've just given up on that. And I mean, maybe the first step is just to say, man, can you just hope for it again? 
You know, maybe you're not going to get all the faith that, that you think, but just can you, can, can you see that it's possible? Don't give up on your situation because like I preached a couple of weeks ago, man, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Amen? Boy, that was worth coming for today, wasn't it? That was good. Uh, hey, I just want to thank everybody for uh, participating in the food distribution yesterday. Um, man, Keith and Laura came out and, and, um, and the Rich's family came out. And uh, man, we had plenty of help, didn't we? It was, it was great. I don't think, I, I don't see any of those faces here. Well, I'm thanking them and they're not here. <laughs> it's an advertisement. But uh, man, do come out. It's second Saturday of every Sunday. Come out, a great opportunity. And uh, also I wanna let you know the last Sunday of this month, October 29th, it's the fifth Sunday. It's, uh, we're gonna have a family Sunday. It's gonna be a lot different than, than this. Uh, we're gonna have all the children in the room Okay, so that we won't have children's church that day. All the children will be here. And we're going to have a special guest uh, bring a message for us. It's Donald and Wendy Lott from Generation Kids down in Silva. They're going to be here and they're going to minister. And I told them, man, the kids are going to be in the sanctuary. Have fun. And they said, okay, everybody's going to be a kid that day. All right. So so uh, the last Sunday of the month uh, is going to be family uh a family Sunday. I just want to give you a heads up on that. Man, use it as an opportunity to invite families with kids, all right? I mean, are they going to be noisy and unsettled? And not? Yeah, yeah, great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. It's going to be no problem at all. So that's the last Sunday of this month, okay? Regular time. So about a year ago, maybe a little longer, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not the best person to come up with imaging and marketing and things like that. But I was praying about what our church uh, should be, like what would be a mission statement or a, a, a positioning statement of our church. And Bree, if you'll put that up about established in the word, this is what, this is what I felt like God wanted Emmanuel to be. He wants us to be established in the word, empowered by the spirit, to be a loving, healing, and helping church. Isn't that good? established in the word, empowered by the spirit, you know, and, and, and for, I probably need to keep that up in front of our eyes every Sunday to keep us on track, because I really believe that's what Emmanuel is, and, and we need just to do it, but even more so, amen? So a loving church, you know, in John 13, 34, Jesus told the disciples, a new commandment I give to you. Isn't that interesting? A new commandment I give to you. I guess that they didn't have that in their whole list of rules they were doing, right? Jesus said, I'm gonna give you a whole totally different, radically new commandment, that you love one another. They must've been like, what? I never heard of that. <laughs> a new commandment, just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. So he demonstrated his love and he says, go and do the same toward one another. And then verse 35, by this, by your love for one another, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's an amazing thought to me right there because that is what Jesus is saying is one of the characteristics, one of the distinguishing marks of being a true disciple is our love for one another. And, and what he said there is, is profound and what he didn't say is also profound. He didn't say because of your love for the Father. He didn't say because of your love for the world, although we're supposed to love the world, we're supposed to love the Father, right? But he said, the, the people will see your love for the world and your love for the Father in how you relate to one another. You get it? I mean, think about, uh, uh, um, how, like, how do you, okay, I love God. We say, I love God. I love, and we can say that all we want to. I mean, there are people cutting off people's heads because they think they love the God they're worshiping, right? So how do we as Christians quantify the love of God in our lives? How do we demonstrate it? How can that be measured? It's in our love for one another. And so look at 1 John 4.20. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
That's hard words, isn't it? First John's a tough book. You think James is bad, Carolyn. First John is hard, man. Because there's a lot of people who say, I love God, but they tolerate hate in their heart toward their brother or sister. And, and John is saying, man, that person's a liar. For he does not love, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There's an amazing thought right there too, because I mean, it's easy to love God because you can't see him. It's hard to love my brother because I can see him. It feels like the opposite to me, you know, you know what I'm saying? But what, what's God saying? He's saying, you, you, you're saying you love me, but you're just making up me an image of me that you can love. Show me that you love me by loving those who are created in my image and in my likeness. So he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So I believe Emmanuel is called to be a loving church. I believe Emmanuel is called to be a healing church. We talk a lot about that around here. We pray for that. We see miracles in that department, you know, but we should be a place where people find all kinds of healing and restoration, right? Healing for your body, healing for your emotions, healing for your mind, healing for your family, because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring that, amen? And so if we're doing our job, I'm just telling you, if you and I are doing our jobs of being the body of Christ here in this, in this gathering, nobody should be able to come regularly to our meetings and stay broken, to stay sick, to stay uh, estranged from God. It should not happen. We should have God to have that, allow him to have that freedom of expression in our midst. So we're supposed to be a healing church and also a helping church. And I like this one because this one is very practical to me. I like this. To me, the best way I know how to say a helping church is to be useful. Man, we just want to be useful. You know, we're talking about um, uh, strategies and different ways maybe we can reach our community and and, you know, we've got, man, we've got such a diversity of gifts here. I love it. And whenever somebody comes to me and has an idea or wants to reach their community, I'm like, praise God. I mean, let's do it. Go for it. I mean, uh, we want to see that done. Uh, and and what, why? Why do we want to do those things? Because we just want to be useful. We want to be useful. And that's, I think that's a good criteria for, for our, our, our services. I mean, I don't want to, there's a hundred million things a church can be involved in as far as activities to be busy about things. But my question is this, is it useful? Does it help people? Does it serve the needs of somebody? And does it give them an opportunity to know Jesus? Man, let's be useful. Amen. So we're established in the word, empowered by the spirit to be a loving, healing, and healthy, health, helping church. So today I want to just talk about established in the word, empowered by the spirit, the word of God and the power of God. What does it mean to be established in the word? Um, to be established in the words means that we find the authority for what we do in the scriptures, right? The Bible reveals to us our authority comes from the words of Jesus Christ and the witness and the testimony of, of, the, of the gospel. We're established in the word of God. That means that we're authorized to be his body and to do the things that he directed us to do. Doesn't mean we're authorized for everything, right? There's certain things that he's called his body to do. Now, as a Christian, as you go, you bring this authority, you carry this with you. So um, there are many different expressions of this, but what we're going to do, everything we do as a church, we want to be uh, 
established in the word of God. And see, we need both the word of God and we need the power of God in our, in our midst. You know, some, sometimes we, there are ministries that have overemphasized just the word of God. It can come, if you're not careful, it can come across like rules to, and, and, and a code of conduct to live up to. And then some, you know, emphasize just the power and, and, and you can come to a place if you're not careful there, you can, anything is, you can come to a place where anything goes, you know, and we don't want to be just way off in the right or on the left, you know, truth hangs straight up and down like a plumb line, right? And, and, and if this is plumb, then, then this is not, and this is not, right? If this is truth, then this is error and this is error. But we don't have to be over here. We don't have to be over here. We can walk right in truth the way God asked us to do as a church and grow in maturity. And, and that's, that's what we're doing. And, and I think of it like this. I think of the power of the Spirit and the Word of God like two rails that a train runs on, like a train track, right? You know, if you think about that, think about the, the revelation of a train track. <laughs> There's two rails, but the train track is one. The rails are parallel. They never run cross each other. They're always in agreement. They're always going the same direction. And so the word of God and the spirit of God are always moving the same direction. And as long as we're on both those rails, man, we're on the tracks, man, we can go far with God. I mean, just think about, I mean, trains are one of the efficient, most efficient ways to move things because of the, the, the smoothness of the tracks and the efficiency of it. Man, how far can we go if we get efficient with the Holy Spirit? Not getting way over here, not getting way over here, but hanging on to and walking solidly in both the Word and the Spirit. And so that's what we're called to do, and praise God, by His grace, that's what we're doing. So the Word and the Spirit always agree they're headed in the same direction. But, you know, Jesus was talking to some Pharisees, um, it was either the Pharisees or the Sad. I think it was the Sadducees because they were trying to trap him in a question. I'm remembering now it was the Sadducees. And he was telling them, you don't have either one. You don't have the word or the spirit. Do you remember that? Uh, Matthew 22, 29, Jesus answered them. And again, they've given this trick question. And he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And they were not in a good place, were they? <laughs> they had neither one. Uh, they were off the rails altogether. <laughs> But that's not for us. We're supposed to have both the scriptures and the power of God working in our lives, working in our church, working in our midst. Um, look at First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Um, this shows us the two always working together, but it also shows us that if we're going to proclaim the gospel in the way that Jesus wants the gospel to proclaim, we're going to do it with both word and power. We're going to do it with a spoken word and a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. It says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So he's talking to the Thessalonians, and he says, I know that the Lord has chosen you, and here's why. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we are, and he goes on and he continues. But he says, when, when we preached our gospel, it came to you in, in word and it came to you in power. I want to make a suggestion that a powerless gospel is, is, is a, in, in many ways, a substitute gospel. Because the true gospel has the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to proclaim the gospel the way that Jesus wants it proclaimed, we have to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You know, Paul warned us in Second uh, uh, Timothy that in the end days, the days we're living in right now, that there's going to be people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. You remember that verse? You know, it talks about them being unloving, rebellious, disobedient to parents, all these horrible things. You can read it, and it just sounds like what's going on today. It's not, you know, I don't know if when Paul wrote that, if it was a shock, they could say, oh, I can't imagine a culture like that. But when I read it, I'm like, I see that all around me. And then he says, he says, um, having an appearance of godliness. I think the King James says a form of godliness, the ESV, an appearance of godliness. In other words, they're doing things that, that appear to be godly, but what? Denying its power. They deny the power of it. I mean, what, what does the power of grace do? The power of grace is not, for instance, the power of grace is not freedom to sin. The power of grace is power to overcome sin. Uh, and this is just an example. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, what's the power of the gospel do? It's not just to get you to join a club and sign a thing. The power of the gospel is to change your life and cause you to be born again, a new person in Jesus Christ. We don't want to deny the power of God because that's the very reason the word is given so that he can, by his spirit, bring about what he wants. And so there's, there's a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Listen to the instruction that he gives us. Avoid such people avoid them. Or, I mean, if there's ever a group to avoid, he doesn't say avoid the sinner in the world. He doesn't say to avoid, you know, the, the drug addict or the alcoholic or whatever. He doesn't say to avoid those people. Who does he say to avoid? These religious people who carry a form of godliness, but do not have the power of it working in their lives. By their lifestyle, by their confession, they're denying the power of God. That's a heavy word, isn't it? Yeah. So the spirit and the power are one. The word and the power are one. Um, the word and the power, the spirit and the power, the word and the power, you're gonna see how they are all related. Look at Romans 1.16. I can quote it. You can maybe quote it too. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Whenever the word is proclaimed, there's always power to bring light into darkness, health into sickness, right? Life out of death. There's always the power of the word. There's the power to speak to the mountains, like we were singing today, to speak to the mountains. And so it says, it is the power of God for salvation, for salvation. And don't limit that word salvation. That word in the Greek is soteria. In, it's a noun. If you use the verb form, it's sozo. And uh, that word is amazing because it is used in the scripture, even when Jesus healed people, they used the word, they, they in, interpret it healed because of context, but it's the word sozo, okay? It means to be delivered. It means to be saved. It means to be preserved. It means to be protected. It means to be healed. And it's translated um, um, deliver, health, salvation. Uh, the verb is translated heal, preserve, save, do well, be or to make whole. That's the word so-so. That's what's included in salvation. Isn't that good? So when you're reading in the book of Acts and it'll say something like, uh, you know, and they, they uh, uh, you know, did the miracle and the man was healed, right? It's the word so-so. And then when Peter turns around, he says, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the word so-so. You have to tell from the context, but I just want to suggest to you that the work of Jesus was included, is inclusive of all of that right? It's by his work on the cross that you and I can receive everything from God, whether it's salvation, healing, peace for our minds, uh, help in our, in our, in our marriages and our families and our finances, whatever is by the work of Jesus Christ. That's good, isn't it? I'm stirred up. 
So it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. There's a man, he's, he's passed on now, but he was a missionary. His name was T.L. Osborne. And uh, I've heard this story. I've not heard him say it himself, but I've heard somebody said it about him. Uh, he was in some kind of pastor's conference. He was sitting up on the platform and, and uh, he was with a group of, uh, you know, missionaries and, and preachers and stuff from all over in this big conference. And they were praying and they were praying to God. They were bombarding the gates of heaven, I guess, they're praying for the power of God. Oh, God, send the power. Oh, Lord, we need your power. Oh, God, pour out your spirit. Oh, God, pour out your power. And supposedly T.L. turned to the person next to them, and he said, the power of God is the gospel. We don't need more power. We need more gospel. Don't think of that. Just think of that. I know it kind of goes against some of the things we've been told, but it's worth considering. We need more God. We need the more gospel. We need the gospel proclaimed accurately, right? The problem is we've allowed a lot of other stuff, a lot of junk sometimes to come in to the gospel that makes it ineffective. Traditions, if you will, you know, traditions of men. You remember Jesus said that. He said, uh, uh, there's two things that stop the power of God in the Bible. One is unbelief, right? And of course, if you're here today, you're not an unbeliever, you're a believer. But the other one is he said to the Pharisees, your traditions have made the word of God of none effect. Your traditions. It's something else that you've believed and allowed to come into your mind with the gospel that keeps the gospel from producing the fruit that God wants it to produce in our lives. And so we need to be willing to take new ways of thinking to be scriptural, to understand what, uh, to, to be more accurate with our gospel, Amen. So the promises of God, the word of God, this is how he communicates his life to us. This is the importance of the word of God. His promises are given through the word. What, what is a promise but a word, amen? Promise is a word. And uh, the promises of God are the way that God has provided for you and me to become a part of who he is. I'm gonna take you to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses three through four. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So here we see the word and the power again. His power, this is something that he did because he has ability. He can do this. How can he take me, you know, a sinner, an unborn again person uh, under the judgment of death and turn me and make me something else, make me alive, make me a new creation? He does it by his power. He has the ability to do it. That's where faith comes in, man. He can do it because he says he can do it and he does it. So his power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, promises, so that through them, through what? Through the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. But that phrase right there, partakers of the divine nature. I looked that up in a couple different translations just because I like, I like to do that because, you know, it brings out sometimes a fuller meaning. Listen to what the CEV says. God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature, his nature would become a part of us. Man, I believe uh, in, in a new nature when you get born again, do you? I believe, I believe anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come, amen? So there is a new nature. It's God's nature that's born in us. The living Bible, 
I don't normally study the living Bible, but it's, an, it's a neat commentary. Listen to how he reads it. And by that same mighty power, he has given us all the other rich and wonderful blessings he promised. For instance, the promise to save us from the lust and rottenness all around us. I like that, lust and rottenness. And to give us his own character. Whoa, to give us his own character. Look at the worldwide English. Because of these things, he has promised us things that are worth very much and are very great. He has promised these things to us so that by them, you may become like God too. Are we supposed to be like God? I mean, who is our example, right? We're supposed to grow up into the fullness of the measure of the statue of Christ. It's a tradition to say, oh, well, we, we, we can never do it. Uh, look, we, we know he knows our weakness, but he's put this treasure inside jars of clay, the scripture says, inside our human vessels. We're carrying a great power inside of us. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. We need to honor that and honor his words more than we honor our frailty and weakness. Amen. He knew what we were made of when he gave us the deposit. Right? He knew what we are he knew our weaknesses. He knew he knows all that, yet he still chose to give us the Holy Spirit anyway. And so he says, you may become like God too. And finally the Wycliffe, uh, it's an older translation, so the language is a little older, but uh, I really like how it says it. By whom he gave to us most and precious promises that by these things ye shall be made fellows of God's kind. You shall be made fellows of God's kind. Man, you were supposed to be. When you're saved, man, you're supposed to be cut from a different cloth. We're not made out of the same thing that, that the world is made out of. We're part of the new creation. Everything is new for us. We don't have to live our lives according to the old way. We need to be thinking his way. And this is where renewing our mind comes in. We need to begin to understand that he, his whole system, his whole kingdom works differently. And if we will yield to him, he'll do beyond what we can ask or think or even imagine. But it's also good that we can learn his ways so that we can be useful in ministering ways that we can imagine, right? Right? We want to participate with him. We don't want to always just be surprised about what he does, right? He'll surprise us. He'll come and show out and do things. I mean, I've heard testimonies. You have too. You know, during the Azusa Street Revival, the building was on fire. There was a fire on the building that stayed there, and the fire department came three times to put it out, but it wasn't a physical fire. I mean, he'll do things that surprise us, but when it comes time to ministering the gospel and, and preaching and healing and helping people, man, we need to have our minds renewed so that we can participate with what God is doing right? Not always be surprised. Do you get what I'm trying to say? The difference there? It's not a big difference, but, but we need both. We need him to do above and beyond, but we also need to continually be growing so that we can believe for more and see more. I'll tell you what, witnessing, I mean, we were, we were doing the, uh, the food distribution and, uh, well, Rin Kim was, was praying, but she had the baby. So at one point I got to go over there and do a little bit of praying. As the cars come through, we stand there and we pray for people. I'll tell you what, Zach was telling us a story, Pastor Zach over there. Um, when they started the ministry, a woman came through and received prayer. She had some kind of problem with her pancreas or whatever, and uh, it wasn't good. And uh, he shared uh, yesterday that that woman now is in their um, new believers, or not their uh, church membership class, She's joining the church and she shared the testimony that you prayed for me and I went back to the doctor and there it was healed. It was gone. It was done. Isn't that good? 
Yeah, and see, I'll tell you what, witnessing to people and telling them about Jesus is a lot more fun when you have stuff like that going on. It's a lot easier too, amen? So, you know, I, I don't worry about, you know, uh, whether you're saved or not to pray for you, right? I want you to be saved, but man, let God start working in your life. It makes it a lot easier to win your heart to somebody when you realize that he's willing to help you even when you're not serving him. And if you think about it, man, there's salvation for all and there's healing for all. Jesus, everybody Jesus healed. Nobody was saved technically the way we understand salvation at that point. Right? He hadn't gone to the cross. The new birth hadn't come. The Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out. So as Jesus went, he was, he was reaching people who were not born again in that sense, right? They couldn't be. So, but he went out and he healed them all. He loved them all. And then after the spirit came out, he saved them all, all who would come, right? So he wants us to be fellows of God's kind. So man, thank God for his word. His word is what allows us to partake of the divine nature, of his nature. Uh, the word in Ephesians 6 is our offensive weapon. Think about that, you know? Think about the armor of God. It talks about take up the whole armor of God, and it goes on the helmet and the shield and all this stuff. Those are defensive, right? They're shields, they're, they're breastplates. But what do you have for offense, man? And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If we're gonna do warfare on the earth, if we're going to do spiritual warfare, we need to have, to be able to wield that sword, man, skillfully, right? To be skillfully in the word of God. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, you can know somebody for years and still not know the thoughts and intentions of their heart. There's people who do all kinds of crazy things and the people who know them were like, I never knew he was like that. Did, can't imagine him doing that. But they couldn't see the thoughts and intentions of their hearts. And you know, if you have a friend or, or even yourself, man, some of the things that, you know, when, when I'm making a decision in life of where to go, where to do, you know, different things, what do I need to do? Sometimes I just need to understand my own heart, right? Sometimes you need to take time and reflect and try to see what your own heart is telling you. And so I'm just here to tell you that the word of God will help you to discern those thoughts and intentions of your own heart. But here's what we've got to do. We've got to allow, we've got to submit ourselves to the word of God and allow it to pierce into our heart and divide and, and show us, right? You know, there's, we could save probably a ton of money on counseling if we would allow the word of God to discern our hearts, right? But what happens is we sometimes want to be the judge of the word. We want to get all up here instead of down here, and we want to figure out what it really means and why it doesn't apply to me in my situation. But if we will allow it to, if we will submit ourselves to this, Jesus, you are king, I am not. I'm going to submit myself to your word and allow it to look into my heart and become a doer of the word. And where I'm not a doer of the word, go back to the word and say, Jesus, I am not a doer of this, but I want to be. Help me. It will discern our hearts and it will help us um, to become who we need to be, amen? Man, I don't want things in my heart that would keep me out of God's plan, do you? I mean, sometimes there's a, what's, what's it say? Didn't David say in Psalms, search me, oh God, search my heart. See if there's any, you know, headstrong way in, in me. I might be making that up. 
sounds like a Bible verse to me. But, uh, uh, but search me, search me, man, remove it. Take me there, take me where I need to be. So uh, he, he does that. The word of God is an unchanging landmark. You know, when you're navigating, you need fixed points of reference, right? You know, I, 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 if you wanted to come to my house and I said, well, hey, you come down Emory Road and then, you know, at some point you'll see a sign that looks like it's falling apart. Take a right there and drive on ahead until you see the guy in his garage sitting in his garage who's not wearing the shirt. When you see him turn left and then there's a lady walking her dog and my house will be right across from her. Well, the funny thing is that's really where I live. If you were there on the right moment at the right time, that would take you to my house, right? But the truth of the matter is those things can all change. They move. The lady might not be out there walking her dog that day, right? Uh, the guy might be a cold day. He might have his shirt on when he's sitting in the garage. I don't know. But, but we need to give points of reference. And the Bible says that forever, O Lord, your word is settled. It's established in the heavens. So as we're navigating through life, we need these fixed points of reference and the word of God. Because come on right now, we have, we have so much philosophical cranial stuff going on where they have actually used their minds and their logic and philosophy to reason themselves out of there being two genders. Okay, that's just one example, how crazy it is out there. Man, I've got the Bible. I don't need to worry about arguing with you on that. I know that in the beginning, he created them male and female. I'm just not really worried about that argument. I have a fixed point of reference. This will never change and, and we're gonna be okay. And when the spirit does his work in you, you'll be okay too. But it's a fixed point of reference and we need that. We need to navigate life. We need, we need things that are solid to hang on to and to navigate by, right? That's why they would use the North Star, man, because it would be somewhat fixed in a position and it was always there as a reference. They could navigate, know which direction they were going by, by their relationship to that one point. And so you and I can know where we're going through life by our relationship with what this book says. And so we need that. So the word of God. And then um, finally, I just want to close with this. The purpose of the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, is so that we can do all these things I said, be connected to God, have, our, you know, have him discern our hearts and these different things. But another thing is he wants to bring things into manifestation into your life. He wants to bring the spiritual realities into, make them tangible in your life, right? And, you know, Rich shared a, a story the other uh, Sunday night about how he didn't think he had any money in his pocket. He goes, I know I didn't have money in my pocket. And when he needed a cab, he reached in there and there was $20, you know? Can God take nothing and put $20 in your pocket? I mean, come on, I, this is the stuff that we believe, right? You know, he, he can do this. When you're sick in your body, you, you need it changed, right? There's healing and then there's miracles. And miraculous healing is, man, he just takes it and turns it around. Healing is maybe a progression. I'm thankful for either one and I'm good with either one. But the, I, I've seen God do things that are, that are amazing that shouldn't have happened leaves the doctors amazed. They won't admit to it so much anymore, maybe. If you ever get a doctor to admit that you were healed, that's pretty wild um, because they, they use terms like, you know, remission or different things, but they don't want to commit to that. But, um, but still, God, want, he wants to take spiritual realities and make them real and tangible 
in this world. And that should not be an unthinkable thing. Why? Because in the beginning, there was nothing and he spoke and everything that, that, that we see that is in existence came because he spoke a word. So his word has the ability to bring real, new realities into existence every day, right? That's why you see Jesus ministering, be healed, be free. You know, whatever he said, he could do it. And he, he could speak a word of power and he would see these realities come into existence. Well, he's asked you to do the same thing, but here's the thing for me and you, we've got to first have the word in our heart, okay? I, I believe in confession. I believe you confess the word of God. But sometimes if you focus on confession and don't focus on where your heart is, you end up just saying a bunch of words and hoping something sticks. You know what I mean? Like throwing mud on the wall and just seeing well, it'll stay up there, right? That's not what he's called us to do. He's called us to put his word in our heart. The Psalm says, let the words of my heart and the, the, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, right? Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I like that rock and my redeemer. But he, that's where the word has to be in two places. First, it goes into my heart. And then what? Then I, when I speak, man, it comes out of a place where it's alive in me, in my life. And then I see things happening, like speaking to the mountain. Luke 4, uh, 6, 45, Jesus said it like this. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Why? For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what's in your heart in abundance is what comes out your mouth and that's bringing the realities into your world. So this is where it comes to, uh, very important for us to guard our hearts and, and even to allow the word to judge your heart so that you can know what's in your heart. There have been people who've grabbed a hold of the confession message and started confessing, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, and then died. And then people say, see that confession stuff doesn't work. Well, Maybe if they would have taken the time to submit themselves to God's word, allowed God to grow these promises in their heart, give them the attention of that and believe God, right? And then let that come from overflow because this is what's in your heart in abundance. Does that make sense? How are we saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you, what, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So confession's a part of it, right? But it's not just the confession. It's where is it coming from, man? Is it coming from the word of God that's living and abiding in you? Is it coming from the spirit that's active in you? Here's an evil man who has evil stuff in his heart and that's all he can produce because when he opens his mouth, evil comes out because that's what's in his heart. So I, I've shared this testimony. I don't think I've shared it for a while, but um, I, I was very... Um, I was very much influenced with the confession message. And I, like I said, I agree with confession. I really do. But God corrected me one day. I was complaining to him. It was one of those woe is me kind of prayers. It just was. I wasn't married yet. I was still working in, in my cabinet shop and it was fine. God, you know, life was fine, but it, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was going where I needed to go in life. I was complaining like, God, when is it going to happen for me and all this stuff. And I heard him speak to me in my heart. It was so strong that it, it, it like knocked me back a little bit in my, in my heart because I, I knew it was a word of correction. And he said to me, your problem is you're filled with doubt and unbelief. And my response to it tells you where I was. I went, whoa. I went, God, I've never said anything wrong. Why? Because I learned how to watch my confession when I didn't learn how to put his word in my heart. 
when he said that to me. I was like, wow. I received it as correction from him. And I began to focus and allow him to speak to me about what was really in my heart. And I allowed him to start building his word and his will and his plans and his promises into my heart. And I'm telling you what, all the things I believed about God all my life started taking on life. It did. It was a turning point for me in my life. And it was good. And so the word of God, the word of God and the spirit of God, Emmanuel will be a church that is established in the word, empowered by the spirit to be a loving and a healing and a helping church. Amen. I'm excited about what God's doing. I'm excited to be a part of this group, man. I really am. Father God, I just love you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. Lord, I know you sometimes your words can come at us as a challenge, but the whole purpose of the challenge is to bring change. So Lord, don't just challenge us, change us. Father, as we submit ourselves to you evermore to the word of God, Lord, reveal to us the thoughts and intents of our heart. Show us where we need to uh, uh, repent, where we need to change, where we need to submit and lay things down before you, things that we need to walk away from, things that we need to take up, uh, areas where we need to, 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 to buttress ourselves so that we're ready to be your people in this world. Father God, as we go, keep this message in our hearts. And Lord, I pray pray that the word of God will dwell in our hearts richly and ever increase, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.